0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 102 of the F1 show for coverage of the Indian Grand Prix at the Bud International Circuit. Not to be confused with the Bud International Circuit or the Buddha International Circuit or the Bid
1: International Circuit. We have no idea how to properly say that name. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And there's actually lots to talk about since even uh, coverage before this weekend uh, from everything following on our last show. Um, probably the most exciting thing that I'd like to start with in terms of uh, news for us here in the U.S., is a second Grand Prix that will be held in our country.
0: The 2013 New Jersey Grand Prix. It's going to be the Grand Prix of the Americas, I believe. Yeah,
1: thankfully they're not calling it New Jersey Grand Prix. But which it is would a really little confusing, right? Because it.
0: there's the Circuit of the Americas, yes. which is going to be the Austin in race. Te- in Texas, yeah. But then there, the race itself is going to be called the Grand Prix of the Americas in New Jersey. Now, what's exciting about this uh, race, it starts in 2013, it is confirmed... It is going to be a street course, and it turns out it's going to be a pretty brilliant street course.
1: Yeah, it looks looks very cool. I mean, they're it's, they're they're billing it as the Monaco uh, on the Hudson, as in with New York City as the background instead of uh, you know Monte Carlo. Which, all right, that that's that's great and all. I mean, it's, Monaco is the, really the only Monaco in the world, I right. imagine. But I mean, what
0: what's nice about it is sir, a real genuine 150 feet of elevation change per lap. You're going to have the backdrop of the Manhattan skyline. Uh, to overlook, and um, they're also billing it as the greenest race on the calendar because um, everyone that's going to attend the race is either going to be ferried in or trained in um, from various car places or from Manhattan itself or, or uh, wherever. And I mean, it is, New York City probably is the most accessible place with public transport. Um, in the entire country,
1: yeah, and I think the, the the most important part about this is that it is attached to uh, New York City, so that all the journalists coming in, all the teams, all the drivers, uh, the whole you know infrastructure around f one will be coming to New York City, which partly is great because there's there's flights to New York from anywhere you can imagine in the world.
0: Well, I mean, New York um, City itself has three international airports. Right.
1: And, uh, and and so, you know, everyone who's ever sort of wanted to come to the U.S., one of the great, you know, one of the main places they'll want to come to see is New York City, and uh, to be a part of that uh, it, I think will, will, be, will be really nice. Some people have done it as a stopover on the way to the Montreal race, um, you know, following some various F1 bloggers and journalists and so on, and uh, that's actually how this race is going to be stacked up. It's going to be uh, paired with the Montreal Grand Prix, so it'll probably be mid-June, June, which where the uh, uh, Montreal race normally is, and then this will be probably a week later. It'll be like back to back while everyone's in North America and they've got all their other kit in uh, Canada, bringing it on down to New York and uh, have the race there. And then, as we've talked about before, the Circuit of the Americas, the Texas U.S. Grand Prix. Yes. You have to be careful now. Um, will be paired with Brazil, so that'll actually be Brazil still the season finale, but uh, one prior to that, the penultimate race of the season uh, in Texas. So that'll be cool because it, you know, uh, if the uh, championship doesn't wind down like it has this year, where it's wrapped up with four races to go. Uh, then it could actually be, you know, potential, in, you know, impressive championship kind of uh,
0: could, you know, be, championship could be championship impact in the yeah. U.S. And w- so it'll be very interesting to see how this uh, uh, this new track develops and everything. You know, of course, the New Jersey governor was on hand for this, and this is a New Jersey State Grand Prix. But the whole point is to be right by Manhattan, and so it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, mixes up. I I wonder. Let's see. If I'm a if I'm a race tri- car driver, if I'm Lewis Hamilton, am I going to want to stay in Manhattan at the uh, you know at the, uh, I mean, the I mean, one of the fancy yeah, five star hotel right or just Newark? Every, you know what I mean? Every, <laughs> every. I, I don't know exactly how that's going to plan out. So
1: I think they'll be helicoptered in and stuff. And yeah, I mean, but they, they, that's what's cool is they have so many options for just you know anything you could possibly want. New York has everything. So. Uh, yeah, everyone who's in town for that uh, should be should be kind of wild. And yet, they don't have the what always seemed impossible—the idea of a New York City Grand Prix right down in the city streets of New York—to be able to shut down all these tracks, in, you know, all these roads in Manhattan to be able to, uh, you know, that seemed like it was never quite going to happen. So this is the best of both worlds because all this land is owned by like one company, and they can just do this whole deal in, in New Jersey and uh, not have to worry about which, it. which.
0: That in itself is m- remarkable because we're talking about a three point two mile long track, uh, and to all be owned by one guy. I mean, pretty impressive. It, it really, once you see what the track is, you're like, well, this is fantastic. Why haven't they done this a long time ago? And you know, politics is the answer. But uh, uh, either way, that's 2013. We get to enjoy the Austin awesome Grand Prix next year. And uh, but I guess since we're on the subject, um, you know, there's also serious talk of a Mexican Grand Prix coming back. And you mentioned as well, I hadn't heard of this before, an Ar- Argentinian
1: Grand Prix. Yeah, that, that's a little bit farther off, but the Mexican Grand Prix is, is you know, probably closer to something that will actually happen. I mean, especially with Sergio Perez, uh, you know, in, in the sport and... and- uh, <clears throat> hit, the, <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Having stolen Robin's race seat, Sergio Perez doing doing fairly well in uh for for Sauber. But uh, yeah, having having the support behind that, but basically the support of uh you know Carlos Slim, the, the Mexican billionaire, the richest man in the world, um having the money behind that, you know, and, and if there, if we've learned anything from F one and the business of it all, if there's money uh and and they'll the rest they'll find a way to work out the politics and the rest of it and as it happens i was actually in mexico last week and uh, it was it was pretty interesting cuz he's sponsored by telcel one of the big cell phone companies down there which is all carlos slim money and uh, so there's, you know, cell phone advertisements everywhere in every country you go to.
0: It's called Tel because it was Telmex
1: for a long time. Yeah. They changed names? Well, there's... Or there's, is this
0: a subsidiary?
1: I think it's another brand of it or whatever. Okay. But anyway, on all the, like, Telcel billboards, there there are billboards with, with his, you know, Sergio Perez's F1 car and, like, the Telcel, I guess it's a hot air balloon is their signature thing. But it's, like... You know, when, like you were talking about in, in Canada, kind of the whole country getting behind their guy. Absolutely. And Mexico doesn't even have a Grand Prix, but just that they have a driver uh, for the first time in a long time. And, uh, you know, they're all kind of like, you know, get get behind Perez. And uh, so they call him Checo there. It's Sergio has been shortened to Checo. So it's Checo Perez is, uh, is what everyone's excited about. Hmm. Yeah. Great. Yeah,
0: so if we let's have, talk more good things about that
1: guy. Well, if we have a uh, a Mexican Grand Prix, that's yet another Grand Prix on our time zone here in you yeah. know, in the Western Hemisphere, and uh, and that's brilliant. And Argentina would be as well, which is why I mentioned that. So yeah, between Canada, two of them in the U.S., potentially Mexico, potentially Argentina, um, and Brazil. I mean, that's 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 great for us.
0: Absolutely. Um, so uh, I, I I guess the next big story, certainly not, as happy. Uh, you know, we already. We kind of touched on it at the end of the last podcast. Uh, we got the news, I guess, just in time, you could say, of Dan Weldon's extremely unfortunate passing. Um, we've had two weeks to kind of absorb that and see the memorial and stuff like that. But um, just as that wound was beginning to heal, we got another major blow um, with uh, Marco And I'm probably not saying that right. Oh, that's it. A- uh, 24-year-old uh, MotoGP guy, uh, just another just... Extremely unfortunate, horrendous accident, uh, and and he passed away. It's just been awful.
1: Yeah, and that even on the tales of also that past week with with Dan Weldon, the two Hughesman brothers being collection helicopter crash, um, and they were from off road racing and all that. So it was just that's a little bit different because that's something you know that this happens right where where celebrities or or, or anyone you know athletes uh, where where they do get killed in some some kind of way. Um, yeah, Colin
0: McRae is a the good track. recent example.
1: Exactly, and you sort of hear about it, whatever. But it's so different when it happens just in front of a whole viewing audience. People are watching it live. People are there at the event. People are watching on TV. The commentators, everyone's sort of got to make sense of it. And then as soon as you realize kind of what's, what's happened, it's really just a, a, a tragic loss. So,
0: I, I, And I felt the the Marco incident, unfortunately, that was uh, – you know, I saw it on YouTube. That was worse in many ways than the Dan Weldon incident because it was, it was very – very clear and morbid, but something really bad. had happened. I mean, yeah,
1: on the bikes, you see the rider and you see the person and the, you know, it's not just a car flying through the air, but there's, it's the guy and you can see that. And then, yeah. And even the, you know, apparently the marshals dropped him on the way out of the track and there was this, whole, right. it was just, I, ugh, yeah. you know, it's just no good. So, uh, I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's really tragic anytime. I mean, someone, someone that age passes away, but especially, you know, an athlete and a celebrated person like that, it's, uh, certainly, certainly no good. And, uh, you know, we did see uh, a lot of um, you know uh, memorial. There was a moment of silence at the uh, at the Indian Grand Prix before the start of that, and, uh, and uh, yeah. you know, in, in 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 the results, you know, everyone talking about just kind of dedicating this to to both those, uh, you know, both to Dan Weldon and to uh, Marco Simoncelli for that. And that's you know, it's good to see kind of everyone uh, rally around that. But at the same time, they sort of say, hey, this this is part of what we do, and you know, we all know the risk, and it's it's definitely sad to see it kind of come back and, and show you what's possible. Uh, but that is kind of an unfortunate part of what goes on. And, you know, since then, there's already been some talks of, you know, inquiries and trying to figure out, okay, what's, what is safe and what isn't in these various sports. And we know we can't get all the risk out. There's just no way to make it completely safe. But how do we, how do we manage what we have to deal with and, and make that better? So if anything can come out of this that's positive, is just kind of improving the, the general safety around some of the regulations and things like that.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, there's certainly for IndyCar, there's actually a lot of steps they can take. And there's been kind of this backlash against IndyCar in general as, as an overall formula. And that is definitely a shame. I mean, IndyCar, uh, which, you know, is developed, you know, as a, as a sport really in the 60s, 70s, 80s, it, it's had this kind of magical formula of ovals and street tur- circuits and road courses. And, and, and we, n- no one in America who's kind of grown up with sport. I mean, that was my sport as I grew up. Wants to see that go away. It's just what is the smart and safe way to do it, and so there's a lot of questions to be asked there. So uh, we don't need to get into all that. But I do want to say, as a fan of IndyCar, that what we don't want to do is throw out the whole formula and start over. I've heard talk saying, "Oh, you know, it should be more like Formula One." No, 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 it shouldn't. It really is its own uh, its its own sport, and it has its own personality and its own characters. And its own challenges, and I don't want to give that up. Um, But when you start getting into the details of what's specifically right for the sport and what isn't, 35 cars on a a one-and-a-half-mile oval, um, you know, open open cockpits even, but especially some of the simple things like catch fences and stuff like that. So hopefully uh, the positives that will come from Dan Weldon's passing will be some more serious consideration um, about those incidences and realizing that when you put a cost to making these improvements that That cost can go up against, you know, genuine safety, and you can very tangibly say, "Well, this is the risk we're trying to avoid." Yeah, no
1: one's going to question how much it costs to put in a safer catch fence at Las Vegas at this point. For the
0: MotoGP, though, that's that's a little bit different. That's tough. I mean, other than helmet technology to help keep it on the driver, I don't know if there's much. I don't even know how his helmet came off. I don't know the details. There, but I don't know what you could do differently there. Really, that's what's tough about Moto.
1: Yeah, and this is the same thing as you say with IndyCar. Obviously, MotoGP and and just you know the the bike riders. That that's a whole you know you don't want anything like that to go away. There's, you know, that's part of what's great about the, about the bikes is just, you know, you can see the rider. There's just something, you know, very personal about what they're doing and, and the different styles are arguably more different than seeing two guys take a different racing line around a corner. Um, but to be able to see, you know, see the, how the guys handle it on bikes and kind of how it moves and, and, and controls everything is, uh, is a whole different thing. You don't want to see that go away, but, uh, there, you know, there, there's going to be inquiries into this, but you know, it, when you compare this against, um, you know, everyone says racing is so dangerous and all that. And of course there's, there's all kinds of other injuries and all kinds of other fatalities in other sports. So I don't think anyone's, uh, you know, hopefully no one gets, gets too out of hand with, Oh, we should never, you know, have a timed event on a racetrack ever again. I mean, that's that's really not going to happen, and uh, it's you know, we, we really hope it, it won't won't go that route. Uh, while we're talking about any car, quickly though, the, and speaking of new Grand Prix in the U.S., I did want to mention uh, that we here in Michigan we have the Detroit Grand Prix actually returning uh, next year. Yay. With,
0: I'm excited about. it. I
1: know properly. No,
0: that, that's a, that's that's not a sarcastic yay. That sounds that's that's like a sarcastic enthusiastic yay. Okay.
1: Yay! That sounded even worse. Okay. But no. So it'll be IndyCar supported by Grand Am and a couple of other series. Is it uh, Grand Am, not in ALMS? First year. No, and then because it coincides with the Le Mans test day for 2012. For 2013, it will be supported by ALMS as part okay. of the Intercontinental Le Mans Cup.
0: Certainly preferred. I mean, yeah. but I, I think we yeah. agree there, right?
1: Yeah. So that'll be cool. But also, um, you know, and, and then it's sort of. Un, unrelated uh, news, but uh, with with the Le Mans part of it, um, that yeah, once they come through in twenty thirteen, part of what will be there will be you know Toyota has uh, actually reinvigorated their Le Mans program, and I think it's basically what the all, all the teams that were in F one that obviously they you know Toyota quit there a couple years ago, um, but then have you know they've they've been supplying um, some cars and some some technology to other teams and running out the wind tunnels and things like that, but that uh, that team of, of engineers apparently has been refocused on a uh, an LMP one team, so it is a it is a P one one car, the top class at Le Mans, and uh, with a hybrid powertrain, which is
0: probably a better place for Toyota from a management standpoint, the way they do business, yeah. from a technology standpoint, from a uh, you know a raceability standpoint, like how can Toyota be competitive? That's probably just suits their company in many many ways, much much better. So that's great for them. And you know, I remember their last LP1, LMP1, GT1. Oh, very what very a cool slick car. car. Yeah. So. Um, that'll be cool to see. Um, it's, it's been interesting. You, you mentioned that it just kind of reminds me. Toyota, in in a weird way, never left F one. I mean, they've been you know supplying a lot of technology, as you said. I'm pretty sure Pirelli's um, Pirelli's test car is an old Toyota F one car. Yep. I mean, they've kind of been in the sport in this in this uh, in background uh, the entire time, which is interesting. And I mean, argue, they? they yeah. they've done really good F one work. They just, I think, really what they lacked was. Proper leadership to bring the championship in. Yeah, okay.
1: arguably Toyota has actually found a way to make money in F one, and it's not by running a proper F one team, but it's by having all the all the knowledge and resources that they build up by formerly running an F one team and knowing how to apply that and sort of get that out. Yeah, the Pirelli test car, like you mentioned, and having their facilities and and the expertise, sort of training other teams on how to become an F one team organizationally and kind of with the logistics and uh, and and moving on from there.
0: Uh, so the other thing that we kind of had develop uh, between the two races is. Uh, Adrian Sutil getting a little impatient with his team boss about uh, when he's going to find out whether he's a Force India race car driver uh, for 2012 or not and uh, it basically, long story short to cut to the chase um, uh, Vijay Malia has agreed yes, I will, I will tell you who my driver is going to be in in a in a couple of weeks, instead of waiting all the way till December.
1: Yeah, they said that that announcement will come before the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, which is two weeks from today. So there should be a little bit of closure there, because as we talked about in the past, there's only a few, a select few open driver positions for 2012. In terms in terms of anything changing from 2011 to 2012, and the, the Sahara Force India drive is you know at the at the sharper end of uh, of what's available. So so
0: where's your money? We've got three drivers to choose from, essentially, uh, Mr. Sutil. Um, Mr. Duresta and Mr. Hulkenberg, two seats, musical chairs.
1: I I, I think it's going to be Hulkenberg and Duresta myself. Um, and then you know who knows whether Sutil will stay on as a Friday driver. He thinks he can probably maybe get another drive, but there's not many other drives. I mean, he might do well in a Renault or something, but Renault's got plenty of drivers to choose from as well. Yes, it's uh, yeah. I don't see where he could really go. Um, from, from there, unless one of the slower teams wants to hire him on as, as someone with some experience.
0: That's what I think. I think he's to keep his—I I agree with you. I think it's unlikely that Force India is going to keep Sutil, which is a bit unfortunate, but it, it, I, I don't know. I, I To me, Hulkenberg was definitely a solid talent. Is Hulkenberg going to be a bit better than Sutil? I think isn't a guarantee, but uh, I can understand them wanting to— have Halkenberg and Duresta as opposed to sutil and either of them and it's a shame because i think sutil is solid but i think that he had a couple of opportunities when he was a little bit younger and he didn't quite give enough to really get the attention of the bigger teams um so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up um i kind of have a feeling he's going to be kind of the next liuzzi do you know what i mean and uh uh, yeah, very directly going from Force India into one of the backmarker teams. Right. And, uh, so, uh, but <clears throat> that is a shame. But I, I, I do, uh, I did completely agree with Sutil's sentiments that hey, don't don't tell me I need to look around in mid-December. Tell me now. And you know, I I, I don't even think Sutil is going to be very surprised to hear the answer.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, who knows? With, of course, we did have an ownership change with Force India. Now it's Sahara, Force India, F1. And I guess there's a chance they might try to, you know, hire on Karen Chanda. Did you hear that was worth
0: like... $100 million? No. That's how much Sahara paid for that. That's hmm. That's a big chunk of change.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because money in F1 is such a weird thing, right, as far as how much money gets spent and kind of what the value of things are is so hard to assess, you know, because for Red Bull, they're this worldwide conglomerate that has billions of dollars in, in, you know, sugar water and all that. And so the F1 thing is sort of like if it happens or it doesn't happen, yeah, it's whatever, whereas, you know, they have something like Williams where, like, all they ever do is F1 and now they're trying to, trying to branch out. So, you know, I, I remember hearing, you know, Toyota spent $165 million a year just on their engines alone, let alone the rest of the aerodynamics and the rest of the car. So... In a way, a hundred million dollars for a stake and for a naming stake doesn't sound crazy, but then in a way it does, kind of compared to the real world. So it's it's a bit but hard, it, what, hard it, to quantify. what it does
0: is it shows that Force India started as a very small team. Uh, again, we were talking about this earlier: Jordan to Midland to Spiker to Force India, um, and since it's become Force India, it's been a growing team. And this hundred million dollar um, in 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 uh, influx of money is pushing them to be an even bigger team and you know you can correlate fairly easily size of the team to competitive competitiveness of the team so i i mean bode's well for their future you
1: know to move up uh, rankings yeah yeah certainly can't hurt and uh, could be could be a nice development toward cuz force india has been knocking on the door of of the top 3 teams right obviously there're no mclaren there're no ferrari there're no red bull um and, you and know, they're but, not quite mercedes they're not consistent enough right but they have those moments right they have right. these moments of you know the second place here and there the you know good good showing and qualifying some consistent q3 results for a while like you know they 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 could be there and yeah maybe this money will be what they they're
0: need. like they're like an indian force
1: you could say it's like a force of india of sahara yes wait, wait. sahari that does indian force that doesn't make any sense at no, all no none all right. Anyway, so, no. Uh, so I think it's time to move on. We actually have a very, very special feature for F1 show listeners today. Yes.
0: Yes. Uh, I went on a safari, and
1: uh, I, I've been training for
0: this for months. I uh, went to the uh, went to the Detroit Metro Airport, and uh, I came and I brought a cage, and I brought um, some good tea, and um, uh, some and clotted
1: cream and an English breakfast yes. in there, didn't you? Put, yeah. yeah. And
0: I, I, I put all the stuff in there. And you will not believe what I bagged. What would you get in the cage? A proper, for real, life-size Englishman.
1: Wow, really? Yeah. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have Kevin Bursnel here from England. And uh, as a first-time guest on our show, he's actually uh, listened for a long time, and we are colleagues uh, in in the uh, my in my day job working with vehicle test equipment. And uh, he works at uh, Race Logic, a uh, pretty interesting company in the UK. And uh, he's been following the show and following F one forever. And uh, he's he's here for now on uh, on business, hanging out. And we thought we'd uh, invite him in as part of our show. So welcome, Kevin.
2: Hello there, guys. Yeah. It's, very welcome. It's fantastic to be part of it. Listen to it. Know all the little jazzy tunes you have in my back of my head. But now I'm here, (laughs) listening to you two live. Fantastic.
0: It's great and hugely coincidental that uh, you were the Englishman I bagged after all that work I put into. I mean, it's actually quite lucky.
2: Incredibly coincidental. And the cage, I must say, was not too uncomfortable (laughs) compared to cattle class on the uh, Delta Airlines on the way over.
0: (laughs) We we do work hard. uh, in, In America, everything's big, right? I mean, that's our reputation. That includes our cages. Big, soft, pillowy. Yeah. So we worked
1: hard on that. So... Uh, just recently, um, uh, you know, Race Logic is built, is, is based in Buckingham, uh, which is right down the road from Milton Keynes, where we, uh, you know, a uh, very popular Formula One team is based, known as Red Bull. Uh, and so, recently, there was, I guess, a Business Awards uh, where both Red Bull and uh, Red, Bull, Red Bull Racing and Race Logic were invited to speak. So you were there, and I understand that Christian Horner was slated to be one of the one he of the was. keynote speakers. He was. So, could you tell us about that?
2: Well, um, obviously, being nominated for award for the Milton Keynes Chamber of Business was uh, something of note for us, which we are very pleased to be uh, nominated for. But more exciting than that was the fact that Christian Horner was going to be there. So me and a couple of colleagues from work there, we were eagerly sitting around our table of ten awaiting Christian to step up and take to the mic.
1: With the lovely flowing bouffant
2: diffuse <coughs> and everything. The, the best-looking man in Formula <laughs> One. And, uh, you heard
0: that, Hornets? There there it is. <laughs>
2: And uh, the screen sets up, and there he is on the backdrop, gracefully apologizing due to the extra level of work for taking the uh, Constructors' Championship the week before. So
1: he called in with a video chat, huh?
2: He did. He called in with a video chat and uh, apologized and um, announced a colleague would be taking over.
1: Ooh, ooh. So is it, uh, you know, who else do we have from, Mark Weber would be, Adrian would be there Adrian Newey, I would guess. You know, maybe he Adrian New Steve. Newey. Steve. Oh. It was Steve. Yeah. We all know Red Bull, Steve.
0: Steve, yeah. He was, he, isn't he the? Um, he's the he's the head, head of. of uh, uh, he, no, he he does the. I think he, he's a catering. Stocks the refrigerator. Know. or is something. So he's he's the ice cream and Coke guy. So what did Steve? Have well, to we say? felt
2: the same about that at the time. <laughs> Steve, Steve, who's Steve? Um, however, Steve did take to the mic and as uh, as it uh, turned out, he has got a long experience in Formula One and with Red Bull, and uh, spoke for a little while uh, with some very interesting facts and bits and pieces that I hadn't didn't know about. Okay, he spoke... Generally, the audience was not all Formula 1 enthusiasts. So he had some basic things that we would all know. They wouldn't know, but we would.
1: Like Formula 1 cars are almost like planes that fly upside down, the wing is sticking yeah, out of the absolutely. track,
2: that kind of thing. And he introduced the uh, the audience to how it all works with the pit crew and then the, the guys in the pit lane and, and then the guys in the back of the pit lane with all the normal data acquisition that we would understand and analysis that was going on. But there's a few other things that he spoke about that I never even realized is that uh, they would also monitor all of the other cars on the track Mm. and quite a large effort going into that. They would use things like the the in-car video, all of the cars that are fitted with the camera just above the drivers looking down on the driver. And they would use that video to understand things like the suspension setup to monitor how the tires are going up and down. So
1: so there's some engineer in the back of the Red Bull garage just looking at the Ferraris. And just analysing the video there.
2: Incredible. Also listening to the audio Mm -hmm. to understand the RPM and hence the gear ratios that all of the opposition are running. And then uh, the GPS, which is publicly known to all of the teams, will be analysing that to understand the acceleration rates of all the cars so they can look at what fuel loads are being used in qualifying at various stages. That's just amazing. And yeah, it just kind of makes you think, is this a sport? It's so technical, it's incredible. But Vettel and Weber, I think, prove that
0: it 's amazing you know i work I work at Ford, and you know a, a big part of of the job there of course is always understanding what your competition is doing in, in any uh, in, you know in any automotive related thing you want to know you want to know where you stand um, and you know benchmarking that kind of thing that's, but just yeah. but to be able to do it with such little information you know it, that's that 's what 's so incredible it's like to 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 listen to listen to the audio to make a determination about gear ratios to look at suspension setup just from an in-car well, camera uh, that's extremely I mean, that's impressive. And that's what
2: surprised us. I mean, we're, an, we're, we're a company that tries to come up with new products, but the inventiveness that's coming out of what limited resources they have in these situations is the thing that really struck us.
1: So do they beam that information back to Milton Keynes live from all around the world? They do.
2: They do. And there's, he gave me a number, and I've forgotten it. There's a number of engineers that are sat in front of this data live during the race back in Milton Keynes. Sending back further information themselves.
1: Yeah, that, that's pretty wild because obviously we see, you know, we see aerodynamics. You know, we don't even see the engine technology, although we can see, of course, the speeds that they reach and things like that. But to think of, you know, several levels removed from that, the innovation that's going on, and, and I think that is some of what's interesting and trickle down uh, in terms of technology from F1 and why it's still, you know, amazing in terms of being the best motorsport, uh, and, you know, the most advanced motorsport, and you know, arguably one of the things that makes it so exciting for us. Is that in any kind of a spec series you wouldn't have that there wouldn't be a need for that there wouldn 't be the budget for that, and, and, you know, and they 're not looking for the last thousandth of a second like they are in f one, yeah so you know Red Bull being able to uh, and, and of course, all the teams probably do that right I mean anyone that has the budget to do so uh, would, would probably essentially have the same setup. Um, and, and yeah, so it's the, the technology that they use to probably listen to the audio and analyze gear changes and then use the GPS and kind of integrate out that data from the position and the change in position and how one well that's happening. And, and then all the, all the math that goes on behind the scenes. I mean, that's a lot of engineering going into that and it's pretty cool that that's probably part of what uh, what trickles down into knowledge, whether, whether that makes, you know, infinity road cars any better. I mean, as the, <laughs> the technical partner with Red Bull is, is a bit of a debate, but well, yeah,
0: you can look at it from the exact opposite perspective and go what a colossal waste of money i mean yeah, undoubtedly. Think, yeah. think about you know think about what what are you ultimately gaining from so let me let me take a step back and say i agree with you it's it's very impressive and it's really interesting to me but at the same time you think about we're trying to pull cost out of formula 1 what's an effective way to pull cost out of formula 1 well if you're hiring 10 20 25 engineers to look at in car video to reverse engineer gear ratios and suspension setups and things like that that's a lot of money to hire i mean cuz these i'm assuming these are smart folks
1: yeah and the other thing I, I think about this all that red bull is trying to glean is something that another human being knows right, right. somebody at ferrari knows this somebody in right. mercedes somebody mclaren you know they, it's it's not that we're trying to like Understand the way our planet works, or trying to define new stars, or you know, I mean, it's like
0: Red Bull innocuously <laughs> discovers a new star while trying to right. analyze I mean, the Ferrari suspension. When you think about
1: all the problems that you know, all all the all the. Challenges that need to be solved, right? I mean, if they were if they were these same people, or if they were working on you know like cancer research or something, right. might they make some kind
0: of breakthrough? Right. You know, you know, it's like we were watching Schumacher's in car camera and we discovered the problem with global warming. we, yeah. we, we found it out. Exactly. There
1: it is. So when you think about okay, if there's if there's twelve teams and there's all these engineers and all this money and all this technology and all they're really doing is if if Ferrari were to send an email to Red Bull and say, here's what we got going for this weekend. Then they wouldn't need to do any of that, you know. Which of course they're not going to do unless they have unless everyone has to do that, or if that's somehow the spec. Oh, and that's has been tried. Remember right? that was one of the one of our lovely gates <laughs> we got to enjoy
0: a couple years ago, and it ended up costing McLaren a hundred million dollars. So I guess the same thing. I guess if you think about it that way, this is the cheaper <laughs> way to go. Yikes. Emails can be expensive too, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So uh, it, it, it's it's extremely fascinating, and it just goes to. I remember we were watching coverage a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about the. Um, the number and level of burnouts they had to do before the beginning of the Grand Prix and how that very specifically tied into the type of launch they're expecting to have at the beginning of the race. And I thought to myself, of course they're not just doing a few burnouts to warm up the tyres. Of course it's very calculated and very specific for you know to, to really precisely understand the grip between the tyre and the road.
2: Absolutely. So, so um, maybe you could uh, answer the question on why... Weber doesn't make benefit of that on all the starts.
1: Well, I was just thinking about that. I mean, you see that it's all this time and money and people and, and resources going into getting every last little hundredth out of it. And yet you can still have, you know, Lewis can't get back on track because they, they haven't got fuel in his car in time for qualifying or, you know, or something or like, you know, Mark mm. Weber having these issues with the starts where it's like it all can still come down to, you know, one man's reaction time with his, you know, and the, the way his. Uh, you know, the way he's interpreting messages from the radio and from the lights and, you know, moving the clutch and whatever it is. It's just it's it's kind of this wild combination of of an individual and how they fit into the team and then the whole infrastructure around the, the car itself. And then around the organization and then you know back in other parts of the world. And it's, it's really kind of a kind of a crazy mix. And I guess that's part of what's what's fun about it.
2: You know, you're exactly right. I mean, um, sat there on this presentation evening, not meeting Christian Horner, immediately had me think, you know, put in a bit of a grump. Yeah. <laughs> and then to have Steve tell me that all of these extra goings-on behind the scene, I started to become a bit cynical,
1: mm. thinking
2: this isn't sport. But then just as exactly what you've said, Jim, is you then realise, and take, this, take the one team, the difference between Vettel and Webber, yeah. surely he's got all of the opportunities. Although there was some footage in the television uh, after wash-up, they kind of hinted with a little comment about Schumacher, which maybe you may talk about later. Mm. But uh, is it a level playing field? But, you know, you always see it with the team. Weber can't can't keep up with Vettel, so it's still purely down to the man, the conditions, the luck.
0: And let's say you have, um, you know, 20 guys reverse engineering, all this stuff, or 18 of them dedicated to Vettel and two to Weber. You know, <laughs> you, you, you never know. There's all these little subtleties where, because we, we've talked about this in the past, Kevin, where, it's like it, everything they say publicly is Weber and Vettel have the same opportunities, you know, to succeed. But what you're saying just shows there's so many little details that go on in the background that can benefit one driver or both or you know, or the you know, one or the other or both and how they split that up. You know, we can I think safely make the assumption that McLaren does something very similar. And it's much more likely that, you know, Lewis and Jensen both benefit from it equally. And, you know, is is that true for Vettel
1: and Weber? Well, I think it's something like like competitive knowledge. I mean, I feel like that that can all come into, you know, when to take a pit stop, right? Something like, like, okay, well, do we bring them this lap or do we wait a couple more laps? Well, knowing what kind of fuel, I mean, I guess with fuel loads now, it's not like the mystery like it used to be with taking on fuel. So during the race, I guess everybody knows. But I guess when it comes down to qualifying, right, of... Uh, how hard do we need to push should we go on to soft tires now should we save those later for the race you know some of those kind of strategy calls that i mean i have to imagine all that would be shared with both both drivers engineers but uh, yeah i guess there could be some way that they could they could favor one guy over another but i feel like just having that that knowledge uh whenever a question comes up where it comes down to Okay, you know, we think this is what's going to be best for our guy, but hey, how would that fit in? You know, what about our main rivals? How's How's Jensen Button treating the situation? What kind of setup does he have, and should we worry about that? And I guess you know, if it comes to any kind of a weather related thing, right? Is who's on a wet setup, and who's got who's got what ratios, and who's planning on what, and who's used through, through wet tires? Uh, you know, that that can also be uh, you know kind of interesting. But yeah, it's 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 pretty wild to sort of see that, uh, you know, we all know there's there's data logging and there's all kinds of, you know, comparing driver traces and things like that, but to know, it, it'd be interesting to know how complete a picture, uh, you know, Red Bull has of any other given team's sure. setup, you know, and how close they are, right? If, if only, like, after the season, you know, they can sort of compare and say, so what did you think we had at Monza? You know, <laughs> but what, also, what did you say you had for that fifth year? It seemed a little short. What was that? You but know, in reality, how much it actually made a difference? That's... Right. A very good question. Well,
0: and then, you, you know, we're only at the top layer of the oven, of, of the onion, because... Uh, or the oven. Uh, the uh, Baked they, all the nice, teams actually. must know that they're all watching each other. So, how do they strategically use this information versus knowing how the other teams are going to use that information? And, like, you start questioning it's like, okay, you have, when do you play your cards and how do you play them versus what well, the other teams are I mean, you yeah. can get into a wormhole, house of mirrors type of situation very quickly I mean, if yeah, you we, let your mind wander.
1: We don't see Red Bull setting their blistering you know, pole position times in practice, you know, in, on Fridays, like ever, you know, and a lot of times they'll be, they'll be fifth, sixth quickest or whatever. And then, and then it's like, Oh, no, the Ferraris look good. The McLaren's look good. And then all of a sudden it's, it's, it's actual Q3. Oh, look, Vettel just dominates and he has a sixth 10th lead over everyone else. You know, it's like, so they are fairly coy about that or even wonder about the aerodynamics of the car. If you design part of it is to make your car work as best as possible, but then is part of it then to mess up the air for the guy behind you? Is there any attention paid to that? And if not, you know, why not, right? You know, It's like if we put this little extra flap here, then the guy behind us is really going to be screwed when he comes to come out and pass. You know, it's it, who knows, right?
0: And, of course, the regulations, uh, that's a whole other uh, leg to this octopus we're talking about. which it's is an they, octopus now. Oh, it's an it's, octopus. It's, it's not the top layer of an onion, it's an octopus. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, you get the, the other uh, issue is the FIA trying to control that because... You know they're interested in safety and the show, so you 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 have a lot of really interesting. So I guess what this is what this is is really a fascinating reminder of really how much time and effort and thought goes into this. And whenever you you start Monday morning Monday morning quarterbacking or coaching, you know uh, you got to remind yourself this is extraordinarily advanced difficult stuff people are doing. And I'll tell you that. To hear, you know, you getting this information, and I realize this is above and beyond what you get from the BBC, but I'm just thinking about the information we get about Formula One on a regular basis from the Speed Channel. You know, and you know, God bless Bob Varsha and, and the crew, but it's just like to talk about CLAG over and over again and you know to remind us that the pit stops really fast are great. But you know, it it would be really wonderful. I think they would actually benefit and get more American uh fans if they dug a little deeper and, and allowed uh, us into the technology side of the sport a little bit more.
1: And I guess to tie this all back around to what we've been talking about, maybe having two Grand Prix in the U.S. Um, and having more interest in that, maybe an American driver, maybe some more of a basis of an American team or whatever, maybe the, the wedge in the door to uh, foot in the door or whatever to, uh, to get on that octopus and, and ride.
0: Sauber, you now know... That I've been robbed. <laughs> and we have now proven if that only. an American F1 driver is a necessary uh, part of the equation here. I think uh, if you just feedback at F1show.com. Just go ahead and send an email. <laughs> yeah. that Robin's available. I will answer. He'll make himself Do not available. worry. I am not even picky about salary. We can We can talk. All right. So... I think we, we should move on to the, the. We did have a race this weekend. We did, but that was a fascinating conversation, and, and I'm I'm really happy we had it. It was really interesting information, Kevin, and that, that's really cool to hear about yeah, those just things.
2: One last thing before you do move over to the 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 race is, yeah. um, although I didn't get to meet Christian Horner, um, race logic being based where it is in Milton Keynes, we're very lucky to be close to all of the Formula One teams. And of all of the uh, coincidences is Christian Horner's PA actually lives in the same village as me. Oh, no kidding? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I happen to be in the local pub, as you do as an Englishman, having my nice, not-chilled pint of bitter... (laughs) <laughs> and um, bumped into her. I don't know what that is. So, uh, what,
0: what, you're going to have to explain that. <laughs> right, okay. I don't want to break your chain of thought. But. Well, that's,
2: the next time you have your British Grand Prix then, um, and you take your local uh, delicacies, I'll send a couple over. No, oh, perfect. But anyway, I, um, I stepped up to this young lady in the pub and I knew her and she didn't know me and introduced myself and, and made a small request. And she came through, so I've got something here for you two. <clears throat> what? What? <laughs> Just just as I pull it out of the bag, I have a Red Bull racing cap no, on I'm the kidding. weekend of the winning the the constructors signed by both Vettel and Webber.
0: Oh, oh, oh brilliant. Wow. not
2: only signed by Webber and Vettel, written on it, to Robin and Jim, congrats on your 100th show.
0: <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> give that to Jim. Show that oh, to Jim. Thank you. That is fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, my God. Uh,
2: and thanks to Nicole, the PA, uh, Christian Horner's PA there. There's also a little note that she wrote for authenticity, if you like, as well.
1: Thanks, Nicole. Wow. <laughs> Man, this is great. This, thank you, Kevin. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's oh, my God. It looks like Clearly thing. Vettel signed it first. I think you could tell uh, he was given his choice of side of the building. Where, and, uh, did, where
0: does it say obviously? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: that is absolutely incredible. Oh, that's brilliant. To Jim and Robin, congrats on your 100th show. And I'm sure, as they wrote that, they're like, what 100th show? <laughs> what are they talking cool. about? I, I explained to Nicole
2: and uh, gave her the podcast address, so hopefully somebody at Red Bull Red Bull might even be listening as well.
0: Hey, well, Steve. How about that? We were just Steve. talking about yeah. how great Red Bull was in every way, weren't we? I think we Remember were. that? Yeah. When uh, we just said how wonderful they are? Yeah, I, that was... Great drink, by the way. Definitely really tasty. What we were talking about. I just, I just wanted to remind, and I also... Just want to say, I think was great. Yeah. And, and Mark was great. Tate. Yeah. Oh, wow. This no, this is, this is really, I, I, truly, this was not staged. I can assure you. That's really something, that's amazing.
1: I, and I'm sure that Infinities have become better cars because of the work Red Bull has done. <laughs> I think that's there's no, In fact, no doubt. it was
0: interesting, no word of a lie. Uh, tomorrow tomorrow, I was going to go buy an Infinity. That was that was on my list of things to do because. <laughs> wow, that's wow. great. Can I, can I see the note? Yeah, sure.
1: It's a little, little tricky to read because it's in handwriting, not in the like, like you know computer printout. Oh, my. I forgot how to read that.
0: But not that the whole world knows who Please Nicole find, is. supposed uh, to cap Robin and Jim, signed by our double world champion, Sebastian Vettel and Mark Weber, And some other
1: guy. <laughs> some guy that turned up named Steve.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it says, then it goes on to say, have a good trip. Please concern safe, I'm assuming, safe return. Oh, safe uh, recipient of the cap. Best regards, Nicole. Oh, wow, that's just amazing. And we got Red Bull Racing letterhead the whole thing. That's sweet. Wow. Isn't that something?
1: Man, this just keeps getting better. I that's know. Like this. That's, that's, really, that's really cool. Okay, uh, well. Thank you, Kevin, and thank you, Nicole, and, uh, and, and Seb and Mark. I mean, hey. Oh, no. yeah, that's,
0: that's really, <laughs> really great. Cool. Now now we can come up to them and be like, you okay. know, w- we have an icebreaker. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> hey, so we're on episode 102 now. You know, <laughs> thanks for the one-up yeah. on the 100. But, so yeah, uh, that's that, cool. Uh, thank you so much. Um, shall we talk about the Indian Grand Prix?
1: Yes, and, Kevin, you're welcome to, to chime in on any of this if you'd like, as you're uh, our esteemed guest and uh, can speak authoritatively on F1 oh. in an English accent, which is, which is much more than we can do. <laughs> we, and we've tried. No, I me. thought
2: you were going to try, actually, today, <laughs> uh, Robin.
1: There was talk about that, but I am <clears throat>
0: truly terrible at uh, impressions. And I, I, have, I have this ability, ability to do an impersonation, and it's, it's no accent at all. The, the accent doesn't exist on this planet. It's a new one every time. Yeah. So I, I'm a great inventor of accents, but just not repeater of current accents, which is which is a problem.
1: Speaking of not that at all, uh, so we had um, I I didn't have a chance to watch to watch Friday practice, but um, what I was looking forward to coming into this weekend is, is actually something we didn't get to talk about at the end of our last show was first of all the track in India. Um, looking at the track map of it i was sort of pleasantly surprised that it's actually you know you know not not crazy complicated it's not terrible it's not is valencia. what you're trying to say it's not yeah. valencia is what yeah, i'm trying to say it's, it's decent there's 16 corners but it's but it's some some sweepers and some you know some good straights and all that like it actually kind of um, you know some some cool little bits to it and but uh, you know the overall sense was like oh they didn't kind of crap it up <laughs> of, well, like, a, we well okay let's start the
0: 800 <laughs> bound gorilla in the room is that it's got the longest straight in current uh, One circuits, it's, uh, what is it, uh, 1.2 kilometers long, 4,000 feet uh, long straightaway. It's a 16-corner track instead of, you know, 37 corners with which you all know, 18 look cicanes. Say. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's, it's not perfectly flat. They have a couple of blind corners. It's wide enough to land a 747 on in
1: certain places. Lengthwise, yeah, across the track. It's great. <laughs> exactly. and um, And it was done. Yeah, it was not nearly as down to the wire. I mean, there were some reports of, oh, you know, is the track going to be ready? And the, just as the paint's drying, people were showing up. But it wasn't like we saw Korea last year where it was just...
0: This it, track was in better shape this year than Korea was this even year.
1: Even in Singapore was yeah. this year. I yeah, mean, yeah no, With all yeah, the last minute things. So that, that was cool. But also, one of the little features that I, that I kept noticing about it that I really like is the entrances to a lot of the tight corners, especially after the straights, had this really wide entrance, which would almost, which would sort of give you, first of all, lots of options in terms of where you can physically place your car, um, but I think also may have a bit of a sort of a fake-out effect, where it looks like like you want to apex early, like you'd want to turn in early, because you've got plenty of road to to take this really narrow line, but then you'd probably have to slow down so much more to make a much tighter corner, that I thought might make for some interesting racing, and, and it was pretty cool, actually, to kind of see that play out, but... Uh, You know, just the the way, the the shape of the track and all that, and I don't know if that's the the latest generation, you know, Herman Tilke design idea of like, oh, look, if we make these entries, fake people out, then we can get some good passing and whatnot, but it was pretty cool.
0: It's really, and what's unfortunate about that is that we really didn't get to see that, and I think you're absolutely right, Jim, and I think that's a neat, charming part of the circuit, and I hope to see that, but because the circuit was so freshly built... They're really kind of quickly developed one fast racing line, one grippy surface because it was so dusty, it was very and, dusty. and dirty everywhere else. So uh, there's hope for the future that that will um, come to pass. What you're saying, um, but we we didn't get a lot of that this time around. But I have to say, to me, this was more like a like Turkey, like it was a, a Herman Tilke track that that was a proper track. And, uh, you know, gives me a little bit more optimism for the Austin Grand Prix uh, circuit that we have
1: coming up. Because I'm still a little skeptical of that one. But, but the shape actually <clears throat> did kind of remind me of the Austin Grand Prix track a little bit. Just looking at the way they had the, the straights with the tight corners at the end of the straights and all that. Maybe they'll do that little entry thing that I like yeah, so much. but on the, on I, I the...
0: have to say, I have to say, even though some of them come out well, I'm done with Herman Tilka. I just want somebody else's vision of what a racetrack would, should be. You know, I'm, I'm just, I, I, I get it. He's good at it. He knows it. He—I'm sure, logistically, in terms of organization, he's gotten really efficient at it. But I want somebody else's vision for the net. Please, no more Tilka tracks. We have enough of them, and enough of them have failed, whether they're his fault or not. That I—I I, I really am looking forward in the future that we get somebody else.
1: Well, I, I think—I mean, some of the best ones, right, are. Um, where it's just a ribbon of road through the countryside, and there happen to be mountains and blind crests, and you know where you where you have to place the road is, is dictated by some mountains. I mean, think of the Nordschleife. It's like you know that wasn't oh, that was not a telco track. Like this would be a good circuit here. It's <laughs> no. just kind of like hey, we have to we have to have this road, and it has to go this way because uh, because this is how it goes. You know, it's uh, so anyway. It's you know yeah the uh, the, the straight. I mean, uh, circuit of the Americas does have this like really long back straight. Um, and, and then some, some fiddly bits in the middle and whatever, but yeah, we'll see how that, uh, how that plays out. But I'm, um, I, for other, I mean, there's so many more th- more sort of aspects to the track than just the track itself, where a lot of the older tracks are trying to, you know, like Silverstone just redid itself with this whole new complex. And when you think about, um, you know, what it takes, uh, cause actually the racetrack I was at in Mexico was an FIA certified track and they actually, it's like an oval and they've got some little infield pieces and stuff, but it just the facilities and kind of where the way you get in and out of the track and where the grandstands would be and all right. these kind of things there's so many more parts to it and obviously which like,
0: is almost unfortunate that that's such an important part but it is it is an important part and you're absolutely right
1: yeah and th- that's sort of one of the troubles with street circuits is that you know you don't have this wide open area and i guess part of what the the appeal of, of even nascar and oval racing right is that you can see most of what's going on from any given seat And you've got this bowl kind of thing so with this with a street circuit you know you may only be able to see like one quarter of what's you know what's going by with cars going by and then it's buildings and it's trees and it's everything else. The U.S.
0: Grand Prix at Daytona. Is that where we're going with this? I hope not. Wait a minute. No. <laughs> I, I, so to bring it back to cra- practice, I did watch practice. And um, real quick, uh, the leader at the end of practice one was Lewis Hamilton. Uh, uh, Felipe Massa was the quickest at the end of practice two. Um, but then good old Vettel was the quickest in practice three. And a couple of things were striking because the track was so brand new. It was quite impressive. You know, we went from a fastest lap of 128, on uh, early Friday to a fastest lap of 124.8 Saturday morning. So the track rubbered in and gained a lot of ground uh, very quickly um, and I think as they, they brushed brush the dust off the racing line and things like that.
1: I think they give some credit to the drivers figuring out little things here and there. I mean, I know they have, they have simulators and everything else, oh, yeah, but just no. to really do it in the real world.
0: And then another thing that I, I thought, um, and we'll obviously need to talk about this more, uh, Felipe Massa showed really well. Uh, certainly in practice, he he was very strong adapted the new track very quickly and um I was hopeful as well uh with Hamilton at the
1: end of practice um but uh obviously if we jumped to qualifying that didn't last long yeah well to, to quickly go through qualifying um uh, in Q1 komui Kobayashi was the odd man out you know it was the usual bottom 6 plus him um and then uh so that was just kind of he said there was traffic and everything and it did look a little bit tricky the way their traffic was going um kamui only put in six laps compared to 13 for Hickey kovalainen who qualified right behind him so i don't know what in the sauber if they couldn't get the car out long enough or whatever but anyway he was he was out there but uh and yeah then q2 um pretty straightforward i mean michael schumacher didn't make the cut um you know uh you know, where, where Rosberg did, um, uh, all Actually, this is the first time, actually, ever. It's kind of an interesting stat that both Red Bull cars and STR cars, so all the Red Bull-owned cars, made it through to Q3, which I thought would have happened before when they mentioned that. I'm yeah. like, oh, really? Cause, you but know, if you think
0: like, it was pretty common that the STRs, would, one would get in, one wouldn't, things yeah. like that. And there's been a couple of times where Weber has not gotten into Q3 for one reason or the other. Um, uh, another guy that got into Q3 but not uh, didn't finish it in one piece was Felipe Massa.
1: Yeah, he was... a. I think even before this, maybe was a little bit concerned about the curbs and the way cutting the curbs would would affect a car and, and kind of how how dangerous that was, and that that became all too real for him as you know yeah near the end of the session in Q three uh, cut a curb and it just you know shattered the right front suspension on his car. And uh, it was an, sent him you know, to the
0: wall. Yeah, too. it, it, it was, was quick enough to take him right to the wall.
1: Yeah, and it was not 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 a bad impact. And, you know, n- nothing not terribly dangerous. Or whatever. By the time it got slowed down, but um, it was uh, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, it ended his his qualifying run. Uh, he finished. He or qualified sixth. Um, you know, he may have had a faster lap in the car. He said it. You know, might have been might have been a little higher up the ranks. But uh, yeah, that was um became a reality for him there in the uh, he in was quality. he was
0: definitely he was definitely that was his second run in q3 that he was where he had the failure he was definitely up on his time so yeah. what, how much that would have advanced him i'm not sure but he, he was definitely up and he was strong all through friday practice so uh, it was definitely a shame to see that happen to him
1: yeah but uh to to run on the order quickly at the uh, at the sharp end of the fid uh, it was Sebastian Vettel in pole really? position yet again. Wow! Um, and as you mentioned, you know the times came down from one hundred twenty. You know that guy; he's an up and comer. I'm seeing more from him <laughs> to a one four, to a one twenty four one by the end of it. And with the next closest, we actually Lewis Hamilton at a one twenty four four closest in time, right? But not where he qualified, right? Because uh, during practice he did, or, or um, during it was
0: during practice. Yeah, it his, was it was practice two. His fast practice one
1: even. Yeah, his fastest time was set while there was a local yellow flag out in one corner. And, of course, the whole idea of the yellow flag is you should be backing off uh, using I, I think it was
0: technically a double yellow, which was why it made it even worse. Uh, but, yeah, he ended up getting penalized three uh, grid spots. Um, and what was interesting was they said, well, you know, some people think he should have just gotten a reprimand and it wasn't fair. But the thing is, apparently, they have this three reprimands and you're out rule uh, in the FIA. And had he gotten a reprimand, it would have been his third in the season which would have meant a five grid spot penalty. So he was lucky, and I'm doing air quotes mm-hmm. since this is uh, not uh, televised, and uh, he was lucky to get the three grid spot penalty. I, I know, I know why they did it. I understand, I get it. it still made me mad because it was so, it was completely innocent. That's what bothers me about it. It was totally innocent. And at this point, you know, he's like, a, he's like a little wounded puppy, you know, whimpering in the corner. He just wants a little love. He wants a little dog food just to be treated fairly. And, yeah, and then just gets whipped and whipped
2: and whipped. <clears throat> I've got a cynical point of view. We go back to what we were saying about Red Bull and the, de- the depths that all the other teams go to know what all the others are doing. You can almost bet your bottom dollar that the stewards had to follow that because Red Bull would have been pushing for that.
1: Uh, very possible. Well, and I think, I mean, and we spent a good amount of time in this show even talking about, you know, all the recent, you know, injuries and fatalities and everything. I mean, a yellow flag, I guess, is something that really has to command respect because you don't know when you're behind the wheel and you see a yellow flag if what's going to be around the corner. Is there going to be a car stopped on track? Is there going to be a person? Is there going to be debris? Is it some, something crazy? And so if the guys aren't following that, I mean, yes, it turned out it was innocent because, okay, there was a car off and somebody had stopped and whatever. There was a local yellow. But uh, you know, especially in light of everything that had happened, um, you know, you really, there, it, it's just, it, like you say, you know what the deal is. It's just it, you have to um, have people, you know, have all the drivers just as, as, as aware as possible of what's going on and just, you know, because you don't know what's going to be around. That's the whole point of the yellow flag.
0: So I agree with both of you. I agree with all of that and uh, all understood. But I'm going to say and stand by the fact that the WPF was quite high and WPF is wounded puppy factor it was quite high. <laughs> And I'm going to stand by that uh, oh, good. from now through eternity. Uh, anyway, so Hamilton ended up being fifth on the grid despite qualifying second.
1: Yes. Uh, so behind him was Mark Webber, uh, Alonzo. Then behind him was Button, who just couldn't quite get things put together. He actually had the most laps in Q3, or most total laps in qualifying, but... Couldn't, couldn't quite get a, get a quick lap together.
0: Yeah, so fifth quickest, fourth on the grid, and that's where Hamilton slotted into fifth ahead of Massa. Yes,
1: yeah, so then it was Massa, Rosberg, Sutil, and then Buemi Al-Gashwari finishing up the, for the STRs. And yet again, we had three cars, Sutil, Buemi, and al not setting any times at all in Q3. So they'd gotten there and figured out oh, this is good enough, not even doing the quick out and back in, which would move you up to, you know, which anyone who did that would have been put in the se- eighth spot. Kevin, you're uh, shaking your head.
0: Yeah, I just think, what, I mean, what's
2: your thoughts on that, chaps? I mean that <laughs> not going out at all.
1: Yeah, it seems even even just to do an installation lap, which as we talked about in a couple of race a couple of shows ago. Is enough to put you ahead of anyone who didn't do That's an installation right. lap. So, I mean, if Al Ghoshwari had done that, he would have moved from tenth to eighth. When you think about moving up two grid spots, how hard these guys are the sh- at the how you much know, money would that cost? First and, <laughs> and, <laughs> right, and and how much engineering behind the scenes, and how many people watching the monitors and seeing that to be able to move up two grid spots. But at the same time, they say, well, with the curs and durs and ters <laughs> and the whole deal, um, to that it doesn't matter that two grid spots is just oh well, it's all going to shake out more. In the- but I can't imagine that it would be any better to start in 10th place than it would be to start in 8th place. And, and I'm just surprised that they don't do that.
0: I have to say, though, it, uh, it, it doesn't bother me. I, it, because I, I, it, cause it's kind of, you know, you kind of have, want to have that libertarian stance, like, you know, as few rules as possible when it comes to the sport. And I feel like if the teams want to make a strategic decision to not go out yeah. and take advantage, then that's that's... That's their call.
1: Yeah, so it's one of those, I guess, you don't want a, a regulation so that they're just driving around because they have to. And, and ultimately, that's what we used to have, right? When it, we had to burn the fuel off, you'd have to start with heavy fuel, burn it off, which was like anyone who's concerned about fuel economy and the whole green <laughs> aspect of it was like, well, here we are just running our engines really, really rich so we can burn fuel off for 10 laps. And then we go out and set a fast time. So at least, yeah, I don't, I don't think regulating it is is the answer. It's just... Um, you know, it's it's a bit of you know the whole point, I guess, of the, of the qualifying being the way it is is that everyone has to go out all through the session because otherwise, you know, if we didn't have this this uh, you know bracketed qualifying, well, you know, you wouldn't see Vettel till the very end of the session. He'd come out and do one no. ridiculous fast lap, and that'd be it. And you know, the fans wouldn't wouldn't have their then, the, you know. He did 16 laps today. And as you point.
2: know, they've they've changed how qualifying has worked over the years since I was a kid, and you've seen various formats of it. And whatever they do. The rule books. The, the guys look into the rule books deeply, just what you were saying, Robin. And they work out what's best for them. And 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 I, you're right, Robin. You know the, those teams were doing the best for them with the with the curs and the Durras and the Turrers. <laughs> they uh, that they uh, great. they uh, they're looking at what it means to them, and therefore they didn't run. However, to the person on the outside, who's maybe becoming new to the sport. They're sitting there going, why aren't these guys running? God, that's not very positive. Come on, some balls, get out there, see what you can do. And, and I, I yeah.
0: totally agree with that, but the, the, the ironic thing is one of the reasons why they don't come out is because they've improved passing yeah. and grid position isn't as important.
1: And Lewis Hamilton so, might crash into them.
0: It, so they're, <laughs> in a way, they're a victim of their own success, right? Because it, it, one way to solve that is to make the qualifying position more important in a, in a real sense. But if the qualifying position is more important, that means it's harder to pass.
1: Yeah. It's uh, it, it's a bit tricky. It's just it is it, it with everything we've talked about. It seems you know a little bit weird that yeah. I know, mean, I, I totally they agree, agree with you. Out I would much that. rather yeah.
0: have all ten out and and really going for it. But uh, I guess I'm sympathetic to the reasons why yeah, they don't. I
1: know I understand as well. You know. And I suppose the last thing on on that to uh, just think about they do run the risk of potentially slowing someone up who is on a hot lap and then maybe they would have a penalty and then maybe that would be worth, you know, worse than starting in 10th place would be, Oh, I, well, yeah, I would have been eighth except I got a five groups about penalty because somehow I did, was determined to be slowing down Vettel on his run or something like that. So I guess there is a chance that there's only so many places you can be on the racetrack and with, you know, seven other guys setting laps. I, I you know, whatever. That's uh, part of what we looked at. So that that's qualifying. Um, and uh, yeah, so a- as you mentioned, you know, Hamilton had to be bumped back for the, for the start of the race. So it was a Red Bull front row. Um, with uh, with with Vettel out in front, and I have to say, our boy Mark Webber didn't lose any spots on the uh, on the launch it was, on the start of the race. It was clean, and uh, both Red Bulls got away cleanly. He
0: is our boy because he signed this hat. I'm looking at it again. This is the coolest thing ever. Um, I, I you know what what we should do? I mean, it's the only reasonable thank you. We should send. Him a shirt and sign it. We he could, would be, I'm sure, equally enthused by they, that. Or maybe he'll wear it.
1: Because, you, know. you know, congratulations on your 100th episode is about the same as congratulations <laughs> on your double world championship. <laughs> exactly. I mean,
2: wouldn't I you know. love to be there when you <laughs> hand it to him? He's <laughs> like,
1: oh, oh, from Jim and
0: Robin. Oh, yeah. great, thanks. <laughs> but, but we need to no, we need to seem important. So we need to have an intermediary. We need to, we need to hire for like 30 minutes ahead of HR. Yeah. Like, oh, this is, you know, this is our PR person, uh, Brandy. I don't know why, Brandy. Brandy. <laughs> Is what? You know, don't ask where we picked up our head of PR, but
2: uh, is Brandy the yellow Labrador. One?
0: <laughs> anyway, this is from Brandy, uh, you know, to authenticate the fact that it is really from Jim and Robin. Yes, we'll, we'll work that out. That's what we need. Is that
1: brilliant hat? Okay, so the race, though. Yes, if we, if I may.
0: So if I, if you guys don't mind, I'd like to start uh, by saying, Sebastian Vettel starting the lead, stayed in the lead. Any one, and if we say much more than that, I will fall asleep.
2: Well, the only other thing is fastest lap on the last lap.
0: F- yep, fastest lap of the yeah. I mean, he he completely owned the inaugural inaugural Indian Grand Prix.
1: Yeah, he he vetted it. If I can make that a verb, Ooh, um, which here is, we go with the verbs, is, I love it. I love it when you
0: when you turn uh, things into verbs. When the- I verb things, <laughs> <as it work. laughs>
1: I, I didn't I didn't know how to see. That's why you're the guy yeah, for that. Verbed it. So. He started off strong, and within the first did he, few,
0: did he Monaco India
1: by vettling it? No, he just vettled it. He just straight. Just straight, you're so concise. Just straight through. It's, it's great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, built up built up a solid lead in the first couple laps. Had a few seconds. In See, hand. now I'm getting drowsy already. Okay, okay, never mind. He Vettel won the race. <laughs> Thank you. He wins everything. It's Vettel. Okay. Um, behind him, though, uh, Mark Webber, um, you know, had a a quick little you know little battle, uh, but Jensen Button got the better of him. And uh, Jensen Button actually ended up, once he moved up into second place, getting around both Alonso he, he and Wendler. He buttoned Wether. it. Was, Didn't it, he? Button?
2: <clears throat> it? It, it button's done that a few times this year. That's worthy of a verb, isn't it? I, I
1: suppose. Well, because Button already is a verb. So it's a little like to, he buttoned it up, you could say. Oh,
0: why, sorry. See, why has he got to go? No, but you're absolutely right. I mean, this, this has been his forte this year. Really strong race pace and uh, really able to just uh, manage tyres and think of the race distance really well and you know get some early jumps and be, be the only one to keep Vettel honest.
2: Yeah, not just being, I was going to use the word boring, it's not fair, but just being the person he's always complimented on his smooth driving, Consistent, consistency, yeah. never wears the tyres out. Well, we've seen since he won his world championship that he can put it in when he wants to and make the overtaking manoeuvre that counts. And that was another one today, I think.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you know he he what I thought was brilliant uh, wasn 't his overtaking move on uh, Mark Weber though what I thought was brilliant was his defensiveness against Mark Weber after he made the pass uh, Mark Weber you know we got into Durs became active, and Mark Weber tried to make some uh, some passes in the one point two kilometer long straight and button held him off sometimes just barely, but he never put a wheel wrong, no, he no. made his car
1: wide he made. Uh, Weber go around the outside. Absolutely,
2: move to the middle of the track. That was fantastic. Yeah, I
1: don't think anyone. It wasn't a sketchy. Like, was this on the border of legality? I mean, it was all pretty well clear and uh, and straightforward. And uh, yeah, just a just a a classic uh, classic button drive. Hamilton
2: and Massa watch them. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: So uh, yeah,
0: I, I again was very impressed with with Button, and once once he was able to defend against Weber a couple of times. He was able to once again pull ahead and the only person Jensen was racing was Vettel. And um and uh you know, Weber started falling into the clutches of Alonzo.
1: Yeah, and uh and you know, they cycled through the pit stops and all that and uh is basically around the second round of pit stops, um Alonzo was able to get the better of, of Weber and uh and come out in front and, and stay on for the podium. Um but with uh yeah, with Weber ending up coming fourth. So it was uh you know Vettel, there was some talk going in the weekend, right? Of, of if if Weber's in second and Vettel's up front, does Webber, you know, does, does Vettel let him by so that he can help him be second in the championship? And uh, no, I nope. mean, it never came to that. Weber was in fourth near the end, and it, and you know, you wonder if it would happen anyway. Weber said he wouldn't want it to happen anyway, which. How can you? I mean, you want to win, and it's like, I guess you want to win a certain way. It's like, yeah, it'd be great to win a certain way, but if I can't win a certain way, I'd like to at least win. So you know, you kind of wonder about these statements, and of course, Vettel still wasn't thinking about the championship. Just to be clear on that, um, <laughs> you know, he's, he, he doesn't think about such things. But uh, yeah, it was you know, uh, just you know, Weber couldn't couldn't quite hold on, and, and you know, good job Alonso to, to uh, get a Ferrari on the podium.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and it was it, it never that was really a race of uh, pit strategy. That was a strategic uh, race for third that uh was somewhat interesting uh, uh, certainly by far the most interesting racing on track was i mean it just i'm laughing already just thinking about it lewis hamilton felipe Mas.
1: these guys they, they find each other and uh and just like you know uh, michael schumacher actually talking about i think it was with with petrov was it or, or you know some of these guys are saying like, hey we have a similar pace so our cars are going to find each other on the track and uh with with this, you know, with uh, with Hamilton and Massa, they just always have a way of finding each other. And then you sort of realize, you know, Hamilton's moving his way through the field. So he kind of uh, got caught out at the very beginning and lost his spot to Massa. Yes. Um, and then cycled back through the pits and whatnot um but then it was sort of you know you're sort of watching on track you're like oh wait wait look at that that's that's Massa up ahead and here's a lot here's hamilton and, and of
0: course uh, hamilton's gaining and
1: of course yeah hamilton's gaining but he's but he's you know moving his way back up from a pit stop so he's so he's trying to you know he's a little bit frustrated a little bit you know uh, he's, he's he's hamiltoning the situation if you will oh, boy yeah so here's the
0: thing like you know hamilton had a a fifth place grid spot but he was the second fastest qualifier and i was really expecting him to shoot up first couple of laps you know if, if there's anyone, you know, we talk about this, it's like, oh, he's, he's he's one of the best passers. They're all good at passing everything else. But Hamilton, if you had to pick one, really stands above the rest as someone that's able to stick his nose in places where few others can and make some great passes, especially early on. So I was really optimistic, partially because I predicted him, um, that he would move up and start uh, competing and really showing some race pace. But he, he right at the beginning of the uh, race, at the start he lost place to Massa, and he was gaining no ground for a long time
2: he wasn't moving was he
0: yeah so it, it, that was frustrating for him to see languishing in sixth and i think this was after the first round of stops that they finally uh hamilton started catching Massa and showing some real pace and uh jim i mean you're always so brilliant at explaining these situations why don't you
1: yeah so like you say it was it was about halfway into the second stint uh you know it had you know Worked his way through the stops and all that, and uh, came up behind Massa, and uh, and just in one of these complexes where he sort of, uh, you know, would 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 get a run on him in certain in certain areas, you know, where the where the McLaren was just a little bit better than the Ferrari, and get really close. And there were a couple of times we saw, you know, in one of these nice wide turn entries that I like so much, uh, where it looked like Hamilton might make his way around and just couldn't quite, and kind of backed off. Uh, but then I think it was turn six, I think it was they were coming into. Sounds right. Um, it was a couple of corners after the long straightaway. I think, yeah, either five or six. I think it was maybe in five that. Um, where yeah, Hamilton just got his got his nose in alongside. It was a left hander. Hamilton just got a bit of a run on the uh, on the on the outside of the preceding corner and uh, got his nose in. And depending on how you see the incident, right, either crashed into the side of Massa or Massa turned in on him and gave him no place to go. And uh, but the two came together. Uh, Massa's car has kind of spun off into the into the runoff, uh, but he did keep going. Uh, wasn't hugely damaged. Um, Hamilton's car wasn't hugely damaged either But it did derange his front wing And so he was dragging that around for the rest of the lap Which meant he had to take a pit stop when he didn't want to It dropped him down four places And it was only, you know, it just put him on the back foot For the whole rest of the, you know, trying to claw his way back up um, And so first of all, about the incident um, You know, I, I guess my my personal view on that would be that Massa turned in on him when he had, you know Where there was really no place for, for Hamilton to go But uh, what do you guys think? I've got two people to ask here <laughs> <laughs> We,
2: we debated at the time when we watched it, didn't we? we, yes. we and, and thinking about yourselves when you're driving the vehicles. Lewis wasn't in front of him. He was most definitely behind him. He was pretty much at the moment he turned in. The front of his car was about level with halfway up Massa's car, wasn't it? So you might think that Massa's got position on the track. However, as you said, Jim, he's got nowhere to go. And the other thing you said, these lovely corners with the extra space around the outside, the man that had space to go was Massa. Mm-hmm. And... The BBC's coverage, we watched a little bit of afterwards, was pointing out where Massa was looking.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: you could see, and they pointed it out, he was looking over his, show, his mirrors. He was aware of exactly where Lewis was. Yeah,
1: this wasn't a case of, oh, I didn't realise he was there. I was just making my way through the corner. This was like, I know he's there. And either, I, you know, even Massa's mind, right, he's either got to be thinking, I'm going to turn in toward him, but not crash. You, know, you, you assume he's not going to think, I'm going to crash into this car. You know, you, 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 I think we can sort of safely assume... That's not the goal, but still, I'm just going to turn in toward him to fake him out and have him have to back out.
2: I'm just reading some quotes on here from Felipe from Felipe Massa, and it says, I simply stayed on the ideal line, breaking on the limit and staying on the part of the track that was rubbered in. What else could I do? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Come we, on! We actually do have an answer for that. You oh, couldn't well, get the other guy who's there racing room.
2: Well, the result of what you did, Massa is now cost you
0: that. Well, so I, I, I'd like to say a couple of things. I ultimately, I I agree that, uh, Hamilton had, um, legitimately had worked on the work towards the inside line got awfully close to meeting up. You're absolutely right. Kevin, he never, he never really met him side by side. Um, but, uh, Hamilton himself said in the post, uh, post-race post interview that he saw – regardless what Massa saw, he saw that Massa was going to turn in on him. He tried to back out of it. So one of the reasons why we got front nose to middle side pod towards the rear of the Ferrari was uh, Hamilton was in the process of trying to escape, you mm-hmm. could say, um, which based on the way we saw the racing occur, I think that completely lines up with what I saw. Um. However, uh, I have to say that as Eddie Jordan talked about how it was Massa's fault, I wanted it to be Hamilton's fault a little bit more and more because <laughs> Eddie is so annoying the way he describes things. Um, but I, 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 will, I, I, I still ultimately say that that was genuinely not Hamilton's fault. And again, we're talking about a really high WPF here and uh, wounded puppy factor, if anyone forgot. And Hamilton's really desperately trying to have a clean race weekend and have a couple in a row. So uh, Hamilton's mindset has to be a little bit more conservative, a little bit more defensive based on his interactions with the media, the way he's been driving, everything. So uh, you really just have to say that Massa bears the burden of the blame. And finally, alas... The FIA agreed and yeah. gave Massa the penalty.
1: Yeah, I mean, I imagine Hamilton's got to be thinking, why does it have to be Massa? You know, <laughs> I mean, of everyone who I'm trying to pass and having a hard time, like why does it have to be Massa every time? So, so the way that panned out, like you mentioned, so Massa actually continued on. He didn't take a pit stop right after that incident. He continued on. He was in sixth spot, and uh, and, and and then uh, later was able to do a pit stop and get a nose change. Um, so so right after he got the, quali- the penalty he he did his drive through um, which put him back and then he had then right after that had to do his, his normal pit stop to uh, to get tires um, but he ended up actually back in front of Hamilton uh, because Hamilton had to immediately come into the pits and get a nose change so it was a penalty for Massa, but it wasn 't enough that actually penalized him enough to put him behind Hamilton, which Is one of those, I mean, what are you going to do? You can't really change the penalty, you know, one moment to the next to try to penalize him just this amount for this, you know, this particular infraction. There's only so many penalties you can do. You can either stop the guy entirely and say you're disqualified, which would be huge uh you know huge implications or you know you do a drive-through penalty you could do a stop and go but even you know i guess there's there's a couple options but um anyway so as as it turned out it was a bit unfortunate that the the penalty didn't really quite seem fair because then of of all people it was hamilton behind Massa after the the hits and the penalty it's like oh goodness that's not going to be good um as it happened, uh, then a little bit later on, uh, Massa had had enough of uh, breaking his right front suspension and qualifying. He figured he'd see what the left half of the car could do, and uh, he cut the, cut an apex uh, with his left front suspension, uh, and, it, and it, you know, it broke the uh, the lower control arm, I think, on on the left front, right. and uh, sent him off the track again. So it did. You know, Massa did end up uh, out there as a DNF out of the race.
0: And also, I think I'm pretty sure. And correct me if I'm wrong. As as the pit stop cycled through, I do believe because uh, uh, Massa made his drive-through penalty and then I think pretty much the next lap made an actual pit stop. And I think with, with pit stop cycles, Hamilton got ahead before that's a, that's the suspension right. failure of Massa. Um, but, yeah, Massa did, did end up leaving the race entirely. Of um, no
2: consolation to poor old Hamilton, though, is yeah, it? Yeah, uh,
0: definitely. So uh, Hamilton end up, up finishing the race in seventh, uh, and he was the last driver on the lead lap d- um, in doing so. Only just...
1: Yeah, just just barely, and uh, like we say, Felipe Massa ended up with it with a DNF. Um, so I think that left front suspension may have been a little bit weakened by the crash with Hamilton. But then, yeah. um it was. I mean, it was a little bit weird that the you know one guy having two massive suspension failures at consecutive corners in the racetrack. Um, you know, after his crash in qualifying, he was sort of calling for like, hey, these curbs need to be reprofiled, and it's like, okay, that seems you know that seems fair enough, right? Because he, he his suspension broken, sent him into the wall, and that's obviously potentially safety hazard and blah blah blah, but. There's lots of other cars out there, and no one else had that failure. And then for for, for Massa to again have an almost identical mirror image failure uh, of of the you know cutting the curb in such a just a certain a certain way, and it breaking the suspension on the left side this time, and then and then setting him off the track, it's uh, it was just kind of a little bit weird. It's you know Alonso had a set, you know essentially the same car and was setting really fast laps, faster than Massa's, and didn't have those failures. And uh, just you know you wonder a little bit about what's what's different about that. Um, but in terms of the track, I would say if, if I had any, any item on the wish list in particular, um, I would say the asphalt runoffs, um, partly for these, these these curbing situations. I mean, I know they want to be able to uh, to prevent people from cutting the curbs and whatever, but uh, the way, you know, all these little off and ons at several of the apexes uh, where they would just get so much dirt and grass and crap on the on the track, let alone all the dust in the air. I mean, there are a couple of onboard shots of, like during qualifying even, you know, you're driving into a cloud where you really can't see what's what's within it and talk about a safety hazard and all that. I mean, it's, uh, so I think, you know, and then also like, you know, Masa after this, after the, the fact of this, um, you know, driving off and, uh, you know, still having three wheels on the ground just fine. Um, you know, I think asphalt would have been a little bit better at slowing him down. It would have had a little bit more control with the brakes of the car and so on, rather than just kind of being off into the marbles, um, and, and off on the gravel that, uh, I would say asphalt runoff, if they can, uh, if they can afford it for next year, would be a nice addition to the Bood international circuit. Uh, so, uh, how do you guys feel Schumacher did? Uh, fifth place finish. He's he's pleased with himself. I mean to be uh to be out in Q2 and then uh, and then come back to it. I actually had a yeah,
0: 11th on the grid at the start of the race. 3 3 positions up after first lap. I mean, he is still quite good at the starts. Knows what he's doing, very calculated. Mm-hmm. Outraced his teammate genuinely. Finished he- ahead of Nico Rosberg by 1.4 seconds officially. Um got ahead of him uh at the f- after the final pit stop. And uh, another great run, another solid fifth-place position for Schumacher. Um, uh, Schumacher and Rosberg are right next to each other in the Drivers' World Championship. I believe Rossberg's still ahead by five points at this point, 70 to 75 points. Um, But um, another solid drive from the Centrum Silver uh, driver.
1: (laughs) yeah I mean, the, the fact that they get the pit the uh, the pass really happened in the pits. So there wasn't any dicey on track moment or risk of kind of both taking each other out or any of those kind of those kind of things so it was it was clean although when the when the pass comes down to or when when ultimately you know the the better finishing position comes down to a strategy call that that strategy call is sort of made by the team and you wonder if there is any um you know team not not team orders really strictly but even kind of a preference of like well if we can put schumacher on this strategy that we think will work better or if it was just completely uh you know Rosberg and his engineers doing their race and schumacher and his engineers doing theirs and this is just how it panned out
2: schumacher's quote here is i am obviously happy about the race today (laughs) so i don't know what it is with the Germans, the translation from German to English—he's got the word "obviously" in there—but he's helping Vettel with the, with the count there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and, and and Schumacher should be pleased. You know, the the Mercedes car isn't as quick as the others, and I, I think it took quite a bit longer to shake off all the last bits of the rust that Schumacher had developed over the three years. But you know, I think he's 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 getting quick. I'm excited. If uh, Braun's dream team of race engineers can really put a car together uh, soon enough that Schumacher's still around driving it, uh, it could be really interesting to watch. I mean, possibly eighth world championship. I mean, that, that's just cool. Really? It's, a, it's, an,
1: it's an even number. That's lovely. That isn't even really? a number.
2: I, yeah. You know, seven's a lucky number, isn't it? Isn't That's it? true.
1: Very true. Yeah, and, and you know, with Mercedes, hopefully, you know, if, the, if the idea of the 2013 engine regulations are to sort of make F1 engines a little more applicable to road cars and the kind of technology that Mercedes and other automakers would want to focus on and, and promote and all that, of sort of twin-turbo, small displacement, high-output ho- high V6s, that uh, Mercedes should want to keep a presence in F1, you know, that shouldn't be just a matter of, of supplying engines or... Uh, or, or, even, you know, quitting the sport entirely like, you know, Toyota and Honda and BMW and so on that, uh, yeah, hopefully, yeah, Mercedes stays as a force and they keep their money behind Braun. And in which case they kind of would have the best of both worlds of the backing of a major international autom- automotive company that has a, a brand to, uh, to promote and, and, sort of a whole history behind it and all that, as well as kind of the small scrappy, you know, clever engineers, uh, of, of, Braun GP, uh, that that, you know, could be a, a force to continue to be reckoned with in the future.
0: Um, so, uh, we could talk more about this race, uh, I'm sure. But uh, we we've actually been uh, having quite a nice chat for quite a while now. We have, maybe we should move on.
1: Okay, one more one more quick mention. Um, in terms of Im- improved drivers, uh, we've got you know Schumacher having a great race, but Checo Perez from twentieth to tenth in a very solid race, and especially in comparison with his with his teammate Kobayashi, who lasted about two corners and was out of the race. Uh, very, very good race for Sergio Perez to uh, get move up ten spots and get a point, whatever <laughs> <laughs> fair enough all right well let's uh, let 's hear from uh, from our listeners
0: okay, uh, welcome of course, to listener feedback, our favorite part of the show, as always, and this time i 'm really excited because we get to ask a listener a question live right in front of us that's right and uh you will uh i this this is something i've been wanting to ask an englishman for a really long time oh god so i can't ominous. wait to get this off my chest kevin please pronounce the name craig
1: craig whoa oh that's oh, different that, that is different it's different from how we say it. oh man well we, we need it as a scotsman i think yeah
0: I guess we do well. Hmm. We, but we know what a Scotsman's going to say. That's why I, I wanted a proper. It's the English language. We have an Englishman right here. I wanted to get th- this. Is the down and dirty end of it right now? We very commonly get accused of saying Craig wrong, but the problem is we say Craig very right for the United States citizens that are named Craig here. So Craig, 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 Craig. I guess Craig.
1: there's more A to it than that. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's not, it's a schwa. You're
2: shortening <laughs> it slightly. Hmm. Rather than most Englishmen, let's oh, say
0: Craig. Because yeah, well, it it's not the American language; it's the English language, so we can't <laughs> we can't argue. This is
1: what happens when the listeners can give us direct feedback <laughs> yeah, in know. person.
0: So we've been wrong this whole time. Oh
1: well, it's Craig. That's CKW. We'll stick with yeah. The, we'll for, stick with the, the kilt. kilt.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. All
1: right. So what else? What else have we got for
0: feedback? Oh uh, well, we had a lot of great feedback. Um, I I gotta put it up. Uh, Jojo, uh, if you'll remember, during our hundredth episode when we had the schmazzle of the Australian V8 supercars holding up our coverage mm-hmm. of the um, of the uh, Japanese Grand Prix, uh, he sent us a, he sent us a picture of the setup he had of his. Um, of his uh, computer facing his television to give us the coverage that we got that you explained was being basically shipped all over the world um, via um, electronics. So um, so he's got a photo of that, and I'll, I'll put it up on Facebook, but it is a – it is a – Chair on a chair with a couple of books aiming at the screen. So it was interesting. So
1: only slightly I to lower give it, tech than what we had. For right. Our I wanted cover. to give another
0: shout out to him for that. Um, we got an email from uh, Stuart Mitchell, and it was actually a touch on the long side. So I'm not going to go over all of it, but I wanted to read a couple of lines. Um, Hi Jim and Robin. I am a new listener from the UK. I luckily came across your fantastic podcast on iTunes by mistake. Shortly after the Canadian GP of this year. I really enjoy your podcast and never miss it now. It is great to hear you guys speak with such enthusiasm and knowledge of the sport I and you both love. I got really lucky and went to the Italian Grand Prix this year when my, when my friend won a competition. I'd like to know what competition that is. I wouldn't mind tickets to the Italian Grand Prix, that's yeah, for, for sure. Real. It was awesome. And TV can't prepare you for the real thing. Unbelievable. We were sat on the internal parabolica just before the pit entrance. I have attached a couple photos for you. I'm really proud of the Alonzo one. Feel free to post them on Facebook or elsewhere if you wish. And we will do exactly that. So thank you very, very much, Stuart. Um,
1: appreciate the photos. Appreciate the kind words. And there were some nice photos, too. They, definitely. Alonzo and everything on the podium. Yeah. I, I thought they were professional photos. Pat first yourself
0: song. on the back for the Alonzo photo. That is indeed a very good one. Um, so thank you very much for that.
1: We also...
0: Got a comment on the F1 Show page. That's yeah. f1show.com.
1: I was going to mention that, yeah. So it was from uh, E 46 and from the E46, I think it's a fellow BMW uh, enthusiast. Dope. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, he has to say he loves the point we raised with regard to the great battle for second between Weber and Hamilton, and that there were as close as you can get dueling between the two, including multiple passes, yet there was no contact. Which, of course, in contrast to the incidents we've seen with uh, battles between Hamilton and Massa, and he goes on to say, hmm. "That was written before today's race, by the way. No masa, no contact. Coincidence? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then just going on to talk about, you know, as Lewis Hamilton sort of cool his head after the uh, after the race and regain his mental fortitude, perhaps. And then, of course, we saw him, you know, being all down in the dumps, and later found out, you know, he'd broken up with his girlfriend and all this stuff. So, uh, even Lewis in the in the post race stuff today was talking about, oh, he's got to just kind of go, you know, back home for a little bit and sort of, I think, he said get back on his game or something. You know, just kind of." Clear I'll get all the nonsense and the distractions out of out of his mind and just get back to hey I'm actually a really good driver and uh and you know in a really good team and car and just gotta go, you know, focus and, and get it done.
2: And have a Bob Marley helmet.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the cross-promotion marketing has gotten a little bit weird with uh, the Bob Marley helmet. For, Do you think uh, there's
2: any link with his favorite Bob Marley song and his status at the moment? No, <laughs>
1: no Woman,
2: No Cry?
0: Or? Maybe on Design Very American possibly. Comedy, maybe. Uh, the reason why that's being done, I, I, as I understand it, is his management team also manages the Bob Marley franchise. So there's actually a corporate reason, that, uh, at least partially, that he has Bob Marley emblazoned on the top of his helmet. Um, but, yeah, that was interesting. It, it, poor, poor Hamilton. I'm telling you, he just, he just needs the season to end so he can kind of
1: reboot. You know what I mean? As opposed to Vettel, who's got this weird helmet design with, like, the faces of all of his teammates. His, was Steve was his, on there? That's the big his, question. I looked. I didn't see him, but, you know, it may have been. But, um, the, yeah, yeah, there's some, some weirdness going on there with the helmet designs. So.
0: We also had an active uh, Facebook page, as ever. And uh, I want to give a shout-out to our uh, prediction stud Um, because he had what I thought was a really interesting comment. Uh, Neil Popham says, I always look forward to hearing what Sir Jackie Stewart has to say, but I have to admit, if I hear him state the exact number of days since Senna's death one more time, I will go postal. Please do not go postal, Neil. Uh, We we want you to stay around and help us with predictions. And um, Craig Wilson threatened us, actually. Wait, 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 who? Craig. Thank (laughs) you. (laughs) That's fantastic. Um, he said, if the boys don't have a taste of the race for this one,
1: that's just lazy. For which one? Are we talking about Korea?
0: We're talking to, no. We did Korea. We have pictures to prove and everything, yeah. which was a big success, by the way. We have to take pictures of our forthcoming Indian feast that we're, we're actually starting to run late to. Yes. Um, so, uh, yes, he's speaking of the Indian, and do not worry. Ann Arbor is uh, fortunate enough to be nearby. And have a lot of choices for us, so we are definitely going to enjoy. Maybe we'll have to do tandoori chicken. I suppose that's a that's a staple, and then we'll get some good curries um, in front of us, and we'll we'll go to town.
1: Yes, no we'll, laziness here. No laziness there. Will certainly be a taste <laughs> of the race, and uh, and I to tell you, as soon as there's a Mexican, Mexican Grand Prix, we will be all over the taste oh of the race God. on that I one as well. I can only imagine. I cannot wait myself. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, we actually didn't do predictions uh, last time because, of course, the episode ended up getting cut short. So we have plenty to talk about in predictions. So let's get on to it. Of course, it's predictions time. And uh, we've, we've... No, talked-
0: no, no. Remember, we
1: were skipping... No, it's... No, it's predictions. No, no. no See, so we were We are we were...
0: still not actually completely no. healed the wounds. I'm still
1: uh, all right. I'm, I'm hearing some WPF coming in. Into the, into the, it just the, uh, seemed poor taste. No. Into the show here. Nope. Uh, so we have, you know, of course we talked about, you know, Vettel. Of course, has sealed up the championship, and there's, you know, he's he's never a risky bet, right? To, to say that Vettel's going to be on pole, and that and that if he doesn't win the race, that he's going to be at least close. But uh, it's always fun to try to to go outside of that, right? Because when when is Vettel going to crack, or when is someone else going to have their chance? So I expertly before the, uh, before the race and <laughs> enjoy it while it uh, lasts. Yeah. Yeah. buddy. Yeah. Um, so I figured, you know, Vettel is really pretty untouchable for pole positions. I mean, he just, you know, he's setting these records and everything's going on, uh, that if I figured no one would be faster than him in qualifying and that, uh, but actually the, you know, the button has been doing really well lately that I think I thought button would go on to, to win the race. I was wrong about, about the button thing. Um, what did you, what did you actually have though? I don't remember. Oh, I have it here. Uh, you had gone, actually, Hamilton-Hamilton. <laughs> Why? Why did I do that? I don't understand. Well, if actually, you were right, like, that would have been
0: amazing. That would have been amazing. But it, So my reasons were reasonable. I thought, this is a new track. The McLarens are kind of looking good these days. And Hamilton's got the natural talent that no one can match, right? Except like he's, he's
1: colorblind and can't see a green flag from a yellow flag. Uh, don't. So you know, got, got penalty that was
0: in the... <laughs> puppy factor, sir. Anyway... Uh, so that that was my reasoning, and I will I will say if you look at the qualifying times, it was not all that far off. Had he
1: not had the penalty, blah, blah, had he blah, not blah, been blah, colorblind? Blah. Okay, anyway,
0: yeah, he would have done well.
1: Yeah. So unfortunately, the Hamilton Hamilton bet did not go so well again. This, this, I mean,
0: every time I go Hamilton Hamilton, I get knocked in the head with wow. the hammer, and the hammer says, "Why do you go Hamilton Hamilton?" He's bound to screw up.
1: All right. Well, you're not going to make that prediction. I'm not going to make that error again. Probably not. I even wore my Hamilton shirt today. I was I was like solidarity. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna uh, whatever.
0: No, you did. I, I credit where credits due. You did quite well. Uh, I owe you nine cokes. Um, they will be in the mail, uh, shaken up furiously beforehand. And uh, congratulations. Yeah. However, that was the past, and we are quickly moving to the Middle East, to Abu Dhabi, to three years in the future, as you like to say. Yes. How are you going to predict?
1: Well, this, of course, is where Vettel, uh, against all odds, you know, came from not leading the championship to going on and winning it and Stalling. blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's it, it's lame, but I just can't imagine Red Bull not, not, not dominating oh, there. Oh, so
0: you're a mindless statistical model is what you're saying? Yes. Okay. So just because. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Vettel, Vettel for Jim. Boring. It's boring. <sighs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, I, me, I feel you sad go, for you mostly. You should go Hamilton. You know, <laughs> guess where I'm not going. Is Hamilton. Uh, it is tricky, however, because I have to agree with you. The um, Red Bulls are looking awfully strong, Ooh, and maybe it'll be
1: Mark Weber. Maybe it's it will Vettel. Let him around. It will.
0: It is amazingly enough not going to be Mark Weber. Here's the thing. I'm I'm in a corner right now. Where can I go if you, I don't go Vettel? You can go Button. Like how? Like basically, I'm asking myself, like, how many points do I want to risk? Because I've already found, like, maybe I should just go big now because it's uh, it's just getting ridiculous. Like, I'm tempted to say Hamilton Hamilton because it's bound to come Ooh, its way sooner or maybe, later. Maybe, yeah, it's the, like, law of
1: averages or something. How, yeah, it's kinda... how about an
2: Alonzo Vettel? Ooh. <laughs> the Ferrari World, Abu Dhabi.
0: That
1: might help, though. It
0: might help. Well, <laughs> so here's my first bow. Vettel probably will get Paul. Yeah. It is just unbelievable right. How 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 good he is. When it comes to that single lap qualifying, he seems more relaxed than he's ever been. And why wouldn't he be? And with all the help from Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, who's going to win the race? God, and am I going to have oh. go Alonso, dude? No, I, I no. But here's the thing: this is what we talked about. We said this over and over and over again. There's boring, but there's truth, and. You're supposed to. You're supposed to predict who you think's going to win the race. And at this point, you're stalling. At this point, now. <laughs> enjoy it. At this point, I, I have to agree with you. I, I. What sucks is this. By doing this, I have no way to gain on you again. But I, I have to agree with you. I think it's going to be Vettel. Vettel. You know, I thought. I thought Lewis had a possible edge here being a new track and kind of having momentum, but just, no,
1: not at all. You know that now that you've done this, Hamilton will pull position which and will dominate is fine. this race. and if
0: I somehow factor into Hamilton doing well again and lifting his spirits up, I can be proud of myself for that. I will have done right by this world to help Hamilton out, and I will, just, I will follow the trend, which you just simply cannot deny. The reason why the statistical model does so well is because Vettel has done so well and been so consistent, and this stupid model... Doesn't know any better. So, you know, the best we can hope for is that the 2012 uh, Ferrari is bombastic and wild. We know the Adrian Newey car is still going to be competitive, and McLaren comes up with something, and we can have a real proper fight, and predictions really matter and count again. But it's Vettel across the board for all of us until then.
1: All right, Kevin, do you want to mix anything up?
2: No, I'd love to think that something could come out of maybe Ferrari there or Mercedes-Benz seen as they actually half-owned by an uh, Abu Dhabi consortium as well, whether they pull something out of the bag, that you are
1: right. Well, we'll see if we're right or not, because, of and course, it could all go statistically different. Statistically right. We've
0: actually been delaying this by a couple of podcasts. We, we wrote this down at the very beginning of the season. We wrote down predictions for the 2011 world champion. Checo Perez. <laughs> Jim, would you like to... Uh, who do you think you put down as a 2011 world champion?
1: Fernando Alonso. Yes.
0: You thought Fernando Alonso was going to be world champion. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, that's not happening.
1: Don't worry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I put Lewis Hamilton. Good. <laughs> Guess what happened? I am like a uh, yang to uh, Hamilton's yin, and I need to stop predicting him because it's just bad mojo. Somehow, doing so.
1: I am technically closer, with Alonzo having 227 points, to Lewis Hamilton having 202 points. So you owe me 25 Cokes, as it stands now. (laughs) They will be shaken, Furious. You're going to send a Coke bomb to my house, (laughs) somehow. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, well... We've got a week off. Then we've got um, then we, we've got Abu Dhabi, and then another week off, and then Brazil. And that's going to tie it up. But that'll be after Thanksgiving. We've got this this wild, long uh, F one season, and with with another U S. Grand Prix, and all this other things coming up. Uh, we you know are, are in for some more long seasons and some crazy back to backs and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, one thing I didn't mention about the feedback is to become a part of that. Then please visit uh, f1show.com. From there, there are, you can comment directly on the episodes, as well as uh, find links to our Twitter streams and Facebook page and everything like that. And uh, it's a great way to to become a part of that. And uh, also, uh, you know, you can play along at home with predictions and uh, and see how you stack up against our guesses and against our statistical model. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll be coming back with coverage of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix in two weeks time. But until then, I'm Jim Lau. And I'm
0: Robin Warner, and I want to say uh, a big, big thank you to Kevin for joining us. Uh, it was a lot of fun to have you and uh, getting someone's, um, someone's opinion uh, that is much closer to the um, nucleus of Formula One. It's, it's been a blast to have you on. I really appreciate it. No, it's been my pleasure. Yes, thank you, Kevin. Thanks for letting me out the cage. And please join us again, and please bring more gifts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's been brilliant And also I do want to thank uh, David Lau at the Brookwood Studio For hosting us today And engineering for us I think he's actually Walked away by now But uh, for for allowing the uh, the You know The two of us With a guest and everything And uh, and having that As a great space oh, to yeah, record ooh. And the uh, technology And paperweights And everything To uh, make everything work So uh, thanks for that dad
0: And I would also Like to thank um, a, a lovely Lovely hardworking uh, Small little website Called uh, Warnermotorsports.com You should head there To check out stylish automotive and racing enthusiast apparel and accessories, including the race-proven, durable, sexy, hot-to-trot, and world-famous F1 Show t-shirt. Jim's got one. Don't you want to be like Jim? And F1 Jim- Show stickers, too, all at warnermotorsports.com. See, I wrote that down. Nice. Nice, I right?
1: <laughs> anyway, I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau. See you next time.